The WWE was in Toronto today to promote the announcement of SummerSlam to be held at the Air Canada Centre. Ladies and gentlemen, Toronto will host SummerSlam 2004. I guarantee that my SmackDown superstars will make this pay-per-view the biggest one of the year. To make SummerSlam a huge success, you need to look no further than right here, Jack. I guarantee it's on, bro. John Cena representing for my fans in Toronto. I am grateful that SummerSlam is here because if anybody's going to yell, it's Toronto, Canada. What are So what do you say? August 15th at SummerSlam, let's go have some fun. The Mezzanine Sleepover. We're on episode 140, and I am uh, one of your Mezzanine Sleepover pals. My name is Alan on Twitter. You can find me at Slip with Five Eyes or Sleep. My regular co-host at Megamix.com. Off this week, he's taking some vacation. He was in Edmonton. I'm sure he's going to tell us plenty about that in the coming weeks. A, a city I used to live in and hated. Uh, we are talking wrestling today, though, so I think you all know what that means in terms of who's going to be the guest today. Who is out there? It's your other pal, Stu, Disco Stew 81 uh, on the Twitter theater or whatever it's called. Uh, <laughs> glad to be here again, Alan. Nice to see you. Uh, Disco Stew. I was thinking, like, obviously named after Disco Stew from The Simpsons, but I like Correct. to think that you actually wanted to be named after Disco Inferno. He was my favorite uh, WCW wrestler when it went under. Give, so, give, that's a lot to be said. Given some chart busters on the sleepover. What, from him? Oh, you. Oh, me. Yeah. His stunner, right? The chart buster. Was that what it was called? Yeah. Oh, crap. I thought it was... I can't remember. Yeah, I think it was the chart buster. That would make sense with the gimmick, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Do you ever dance like uh, Disco Inferno, though? Not these days. All right. <laughs> Once upon a time. Uh, so... It's going to be all wrestling all the time on uh, on today's show, so uh, we're going to talk uh, in the main event about SummerSlam 2004, a show that took place here in Toronto. I was in attendance, uh, unfortunately. You poor thing. <laughs> uh, before we get into that, though, let's talk about some of the latest wrestling. Uh, before I get into the news of the day, Stu, uh, have you attended? It, it, you, the last time you were on, which event did we talk about? Been a couple of months, right? Ooh. Was the last time, didn't we do one of our top countdowns? We might have done something about who we hated or who we loved in I wrestling. It, it may have been the, the dislike one. Which uh, was... Yeah, that was a good one. Where that was a good Billy, one. I enjoyed that. Billy Gunn, the winner. 
player <laughs> uh, unanimous winner. Uh, so, have you been to any uh, live shows in the last couple of months here in Toronto? I have. I went to see uh, Smash Wrestling at the Phoenix Theatre on Sherbourne Street, which is right in the heart of Cracktown, Toronto. Nice. It's always fun. Uh, but it was a cracking show. They ran a, uh, a, a two double-header show, uh, like a tournament-type thing. There was Matt Riddle. There was Maya Yim. Uh, bad Boy Joey Janela. Um, who else was it? Tyson Dukes was on it. And then a bunch of their own talent. Okay, was it a good show? It was a very enjoyable show, yeah. Uh, uh, Matt Riddle against Maya Yim in the first round of the tournament was the match of the day. Um, I've seen Maya Yim on the May Young classic thing, but I've never seen Matt Riddle wrestle, to be honest. Okay. It's not in person anyway. Uh, and then did you go to that Ring of Honor show? The one in, was that in May? Yeah, I think so. Yes, I did go to that. Yes, that was, uh, who headlined that? Books against somebody. That was a good show. It wasn't as good as the one that we went to the year before, though. No, okay. Um, no, and, it didn't and, quite have the the hot uh, main event that we got. Did you go to the Impact? Uh, what was it? Slammiversary or whatever. I did not. No, I was on the day of. I was tempted, but couldn't seem to find any tickets. Like none of the usual StubHub etc. had tickets. And it was. I heard it was a like a killer show. Yeah, like all the reviews I read make it sound great, and the Impact tapings were sold out as well, so that's good for them. Uh, I went to two shows by a local promotion called Super Kicked, which uh, is at the Great Hall. Yep, I've heard of those. Uh, I thought their first event was better than the second one. The wrestling was better on the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the second event, uh, it, the second event was more spectacular. They had like... A, this Royal Rumble kind of gauntlet style match at the end, and there were ladder spots, and it was, uh, you know, it was pretty, it was pretty intense for, I think I paid $10, so. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, so good. it's pretty good. But, uh, the first show, I wasn't sure what to expect, and the quality was a lot better than what I thought it would be. No one, uh, no one of note, they don't bring in any kind of celebrity Names. guests, just local guys and people from like the Northeast. Okay. That sounds fun. Um, but of course, we are now one month away, just over a month away from Indeed. all in. Indeed, from the the road trip of the year. Oh my goodness! And the and our Airbnb with a bar and a dartboard and a dartboard for all of your gentlemanly hangout needs. Oh, I haven't told you yet. Uh, so we're leaving on Thursday because we want to get to uh, Chicago early on Friday to pick Mega Mix up at the airport. <laughs> I, bu- I booked us a stopover place in Flint, so we might die. Oh, okay, right. So a pack water. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So you've been warned. Well, I, I've always wanted to tick Flint, Michigan off my list of places I've been to, so now I can. Yeah, lucky guy. So, yeah, say goodbye to your wife and... Yes, you indeed. Know, it is what it is. It was nice knowing you. Um, so we've got three matches that are on that card so far. Uh, what's it? Nick Aldis and Cody Rhodes are uh, yep. at it for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, Okada and Marty Skrull. Yes, which <laughs> is announced a few days ago, which was a fascinating sounding match. And then Joy Janela and uh, Hangman Page is the third yeah. one. Yeah. So Joey Janela, who I have now seen wrestle. Uh huh. Um, Shout out to Smash Wrestling. Thank you for that. And so, that's it so far. Um, Kenny Omega has a broken ankle. Uh, oh, wow. From the, um, 
Dominion match? He he I guess so, but he's been wrestling on it during the uh G one. So oh. uh I'm assuming that he's gonna continue on with his go. booking. Like mm. it's a pretty important show, so you'd think Good but, show. but uh he's still got a long way to go in the G one, which you know, he's tearing it up as usual, right? So as he does, as he does. Uh, so we'll see, but we've got uh, no other matches yet, and we're a month away. But again, it doesn't really matter, right? It's no, it's uh, it's not really that important. Jericho's uh, boat cruise thing announced uh, the Young Bucks against LAX for that today. For the cruise, the, yeah. I thought that it was Jericho and the Young Bucks against uh, Kenny Omega, and I forget who Kenny Omega was with. I think it might, it might have been with Cody. Oh, interesting. I'm trying to think of what that was. Maybe, I, I, maybe it's a two-day event type thing. I'm just going... I'm typing in Jericho Cruise to see what... Uh, oh, good for him. It's the very first thing that comes up. Chris Jericho Cruise. Alpha Club versus Bullet Club. Oh, interesting. The Bucks of Jericho versus Kenny Omega, Cody, and Marty Skrull. Huh. Well, interesting. Yeah, there was definitely something on Twitter today about... Uh, LAX calling out the books and them off, and they saying they're good to go for it. Oh, they might. I mean, maybe they're doing two nights. I don't know it what. Could they're... be, yeah. I mean, I guess if you're putting together a boat cruise, then it would make sense to have a, a couple of shows. Yeah, and, and Marty Skrull's also in the tournament. Like they're doing this sixty-man yeah. tournament, so uh, it could very well be like multiple matches. Yes, an afternoon show and an evening show, or something like that. Uh, so that's all in. Uh, also, in uh, we'll get to the sad news in a second, but I need to ask you: Are you excited about uh, NXT Takeover Brooklyn Four? Uh, yes, I'm always excited about NXT shows. They've consistently been solid. Like the the last one was great, as they all are, and they do seem to pull out all the stops for Brooklyn. So I'm thinking it will be a very good show. Have you seen the card? Uh, I who is because. Uh, I think he won the title, didn't he? Champa won the title this week. Yes, he did. Champa, yeah. Champa's the best heel in wrestling. Oh, he, he's he's rewriting heel. Uh, the best thing about him is coming out to no music. Yes, just booze. Uh, but he, it's him and Aleister Black and Johnny Gargano in a triple threat. Right. Uh, Shayna Baszler versus Kyrie Sane. Uh, for the title. Yeah, uh, for the title. Adam Cole versus Ricochet. Oh, that should be pretty sweet. Uh, Cal- Velveteen Dream have a match? Velveteen Dream versus EC3. Okay. And Kyle O'Reilly and Roderick Strong versus uh, Tyler Bate and Trent Seven. Oh, my boys from the West Midlands. That's right. And their last uh, two matches have been spectacular. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I don't even know what's on SummerSlam. I don't even care. Like, this event is, this NXT oh, TakeOver you- is the main event of the oh, weekend. It's, it's Reigns and Lesnar again. <laughs> Yay! Yay! And Reigns is probably going to win, right? Because I think this is Lesnar's last match for a while. I think probably. Though <laughs> it was supposed to be at WrestleMania, and then Lesnar beat him. Yeah, and then Lesnar can't do UFC until the new year because he was still the drug suspension thing. Yeah, he's got to piss in a cup cleanly Something for a while. Like that, yeah. Uh, so we had uh, a day, an interesting day today in the wrestling world. Three guys. Um, it's been announced have passed away. Uh, two, two, two we knew pretty well. Like not in person, obviously we weren't friends no. with them. Um, <laughs> I'll start off with the one that we didn't know though. Brickhouse Brown. 
Uh, had to, I had to check that wasn't Bad News Brown or... Well, Bad News Brown has been dead for a while. There you go. That shows how much I know about the really old time wrestlers. <laughs> Apparently, he was a top heel in Southern promotions in the 80s and 90s. Uh, but the interesting thing, so he's been, uh, uh, he's been on his deathbed for a while. Like he's, he had, um, he had prostate cancer and, and then they didn't treat it. Uh, he didn't have Jesus. insurance. And by the time they raised the money, it was too late. Good Lord. So a week and a half ago, he died and they, they had him like pronounced dead and they had like the meat wagon coming to pick him up. <laughs> and he was like, he was under the sheet, like, you know, kind of, you know, when they die, they yeah. pull the sheet up. And apparently his mom was sitting with him and she fell asleep and he just woke up. Like he woke up and he was like, I'm hungry. <laughs> Not I'm alive. I'm hungry. Yeah. Well, they hadn't been feeding him because he was dying. Right. So of he's course, like, yeah. so he apparently came back to life. And then nine days later, he died for real. That's. Rather unfortunate. Yeah, like I mean, good for him for making one comeback. I mean, guess, yeah, you beat death once, you're not going to beat it again. Uh, the two other guys who we know a little bit better, I guess we'll start off with Nikolai Volkov. Uh, Nikolai Volkov, a, uh, you know, I mean, he's been wrestling, he was wrestling in the 70s and 80s and 90s, most known for uh, 1980s, uh, singing the Russian national anthem, teaming up with the Iron Sheik and winning the tag team titles. Uh, feuding with Hulk Hogan, and yep. uh, otherwise being probably one of the worst in-ring wrestlers I've ever seen. Uh, yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, but he was a, he was big, and he was big, yeah. and he was played the the foreign dirty heel very very well until he was Ted DiBiase's slave. <laughs> God, I'm good about that. He was his servant. The then the best yeah. part about that was Ted DiBiase made him wear a little tux and. Uh, <laughs> Ted DiBiase had the dollar signs on his tux, so uh, um, Nikolai had like the cent sign on his because <laughs> he was poor and it was funny. Was this pre or post Virgil? Uh, this was post Virgil. I see. Right after Virgil had turned his face. Yeah, yeah. I think Virgil, had, I, he may have been uh, at this time already being, oh no, he wasn't Vincent yet, but he was, I don't think he was around. No. Uh, but Nikolai, did you, uh, was he. Did you watch a lot of Nikolai, or was this... Uh, you were a wrestling fan out kind of after his main run, right? I would definitely say, yeah, he's one of the ones that I uh, saw on older tapes, and sort of like... I would definitely say that him and the Iron Sheik were the first kind of, you know, uh, foreign heel gimmick that I definitely remember. And being unsure as to why I'm booing a Russian, because I was six, and I didn't really understand why that meant him he was a bad guy. Well, what did... Did the UK have the same like animosity with with the Soviet Union and Russia, no. like the states? No, not not to the same extent. It was just like, yeah, it's another European country, and yeah, they're communists, yeah, it's, but it's you know, just, yeah, like all of the countries over there are they're not. I don't know if they were ever our enemy, but they weren't really our friends. Uh, if you guys were ever to have like a you know a foreign gimmick in the UK to piss off people, what like traditionally, do you know what kind? Like oh. would it be France? Uh, probably it'd be the easiest one, French or maybe German, given the history. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, depending where you are in the UK, you could you could do a Scottish or an Irish gimmick, I guess. Okay, yeah, I guess so. But uh, Russian, not. Uh... No, I don't think it would have gone over as as well as it did in the states. 
Uh, yeah, the states would have what? They had Russians, then they had people from the Middle East, and then they have the Japanese. Yeah. I I love how the Japanese became kind of, like with Yokozuna and Mr. Fuji and, you know, especially in the 90s, they didn't like Japan because the economy was bad in the States, <laughs> and the Japanese economy was good, and that's people why. People buying Hondas. Yeah, it was like, we don't like the Japanese. Or, they make superior cars to us, damn them. <laughs> or, you know, as Hogan called them, a word that I can't repeat uh, oh, on no. here, at WrestleMania 9, uh, when he called Yokozuna, uh, yeah, a, a derogatory that. term. So, yes. uh, so then uh, the third one, this one is, like, fucked up bad. Yeah, this one is kind of, like, hit hard, because this is, like, right when I got back into wrestling. Uh, Brian, well, Brian Lawler, uh, Jerry Lawler's son wrestled under the name Brian Christopher, probably most widely known for a WWF run where he was, uh, Grandmaster Sexay. Sexay, that's right. Of Too Cool. Uh, so he had been, um, he had wrestled in the USWA and was kind of a big regional star, uh, because he was Lawler's kid. But he was never acknowledged as Lawler's kid then, right? No, Lawler didn't want people to know that he was, like, old enough to have a grown-up son. Right. <laughs> which, which is funny because, you know, I mean, it actually kind of makes sense because everybody that, you know, all the ladies that Lawler dated were, like, the, yeah. teenagers. So, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, Did the math and he realized what sort of guy Lawler is. Uh, but, uh, he, uh, and then he came to the WWF, uh, and initially was kind of just a, you know, inserted in the cruiserweight division and was like an obnoxious loudmouth. Yeah. With no particular gimmick. And then they brought him back with, uh, Scott Taylor and they were initially called too hot, but then they turned into rappers and they were too cool and they got teamed up with Rikishi <laughs> and actually had a nice little run for a couple of years. Yeah, outside of the main event, they were probably the most overact for a couple of years there. I mean, there was a period of time, I guess it was 2000, early 2000, where they were like the shit for a while. Oh, God, yeah. I, I forget what who I saw them wrestle, but they were like over like crazy back then. One of my favorite matches. Oh, maybe that was is that we did our favorite matches, didn't we? That's what we did when we were all together. Did we? Maybe not? that was the last one. I don't know. Yeah. My favorite mat. One of my favorite matches, I think, on the list was a ten man tag that on Raw and uh, Rikishi and Too Cool were in it. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, and he, so he's and they 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 had the very memorable spot during a Royal Rumble where they all danced and then Rikishi dumped them out. I think they did. Yep. Uh, we yeah. we actually in our uh, in our backyard wrestling federation a few years before that. Uh, we had a we had a team of uh, bartenders. They were called Bar Staff Inc. <laughs> and uh, they would wrestle to California Love. There it was Bartender and Barbacian. And uh, during one of the spots, they were in the ring, and California Love hit, and they danced. And so we always claimed that that spot at the Royal Rumble was stolen from us. Stolen, stolen from your legendary bed. But yes, I guess you would have a you would you would have enjoyed bartender and barbacchio. I would have, yeah. I mean, like, I also would have thought that it was slightly stealing my gimmick, but <laughs> but they were from California and they they talked like surfers. So oh, okay, fair enough. Uh, so Brian Christopher was um, he's he's had like drug and alcohol problems yeah. on and off, and uh, he got caught on his third DUI earlier in the month, 
was in jail and had a large, uh, not a huge, but like a pretty large, ba- you know, bail set. And uh, I think that Jerry Lawler, his, his dad was like, you know what? Like the guy needs to learn his lesson and didn't like immediately bail him out. Yeah. And I, I was reading that it was set at 40 grand, which is a lot for most people, but I can't imagine that 40 grand is going to bankrupt Jerry Lawler. No. Uh, but at the same time, you know, he's like, this kid's like, he's not even a kid, he's 46, but he's, yeah. I think he was at the point where it's like, this guy's got to kind of learn his lesson yeah. because he keeps getting into trouble. And then uh, Brian Christopher hung himself. Yeah. So, that's fucked up. That's very, very sad. Um, especially given that WWE have, have helped so many other wrestlers get uh, rehab, detox, whatever you want to, uh, terminology you want to use. So yeah. I'm assuming that they've offered to foot the bill for this for him in the past. It's their, it's their policy. So I'm yeah. sure that they have. Yeah. So it's just, you know, like you said, fucked up that the poor guy couldn't take that opportunity that a lot of people with uh, addiction won't have that. No opportunity to do that. Yeah, but I I guess, well, I don't even know, because I fortunately haven't kind of suffered through that. But yeah, I guess some people, it's just it's so hard, right? You can't either don't want it or you can't or for whatever reason, it just, you know, it doesn't work out. And in this case, I mean, it's a sad ending. Really sad. Yeah, it's gone to the most extreme ending it can do. Well, on that happy note, Jesus. Moving on from that. Sad shit show to another sad shit show. (laughs) All right. SummerSlam 2004 is our main event today. Uh, All right. Quick tale of the tape. SummerSlam 2004, the 17th annual SummerSlam pay-per-view presented by the World uh, Wrestling Entertainment. Uh, It took place from the Air Canada Center, now known as Scotiabank Place? Arena. Scotiabank Arena in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. On August 15, 2004, as I, I think I said, uh, 17,640 fans in the arena. I was there. Uh, I don't know if that was the actual uh, attendance. It was a sellout. And uh, it had the entranceway set that doesn't cut off a third of the arena like they do now. So I, I would say they, it's you know relatively legit at the time. Yeah, I, I must admit, when they mentioned the attendance, and I kind of fought back as to... That sounds a lot for how they set up the uh, the arena for wrestling these days. But like you said, it wasn't the massive stage that they have now. Uh, this was... Um, what can I say about this show? In 2004, so the WWE had come off WrestleMania 20, uh, which had taken place in uh, either March or April earlier in the year. Uh, kind of a reboot kind of show that was the theme right where it all begins again mm-hmm. uh and at the Back end of madison square garden was it right it was yeah yeah and at the end of that show we we ended things off with uh, chris benoit as the world heavyweight champion and eddie guerrero as the wwe champion which definitely sing- signals a change in direction at least at the time mm-hmm. and uh i have to say personally at it wasn't because of the show. I loved WrestleMania 20, and I think I followed a little bit after that. But this, I would say, was the point where my fandom took a hit. Uh, I see. It was, it was over the course of the coming months in 2004 where I had up till that point been a, you know, Monday Night Raw was a must-watch uh, show. Yeah. 
and it became uh, uh you know if i'm around i'll watch it but uh yep. i worked monday nights and i didn't have a you know dvr or whatever and so i just yep. didn't i just kind of didn't watch a lot i i paid attention but i didn't really watch a lot and and that's uh obviously i've never become like a, like a non fan but this is where like being like a fanatical Mm-mm. kind of fan dropped off how about you well, I actually tried to remember back and, and sort of do my history of my life as like, where was I when this happened? And I record, it was I traveled back in time. I was like, I didn't have cable at this time. I didn't have satellite TV as we had in England. So I didn't watch this show live. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, maybe for the best. From, yeah. I mean, I definitely know that I've seen it since or at least seen the main event. But then watching it again now, I was like, no, I'm pretty sure I've not seen all of this in its entirety. And now you have. And now I have. <laughs> a lucky guy. And, and it did kind of jolt a number of memories of general around this time uh, shows that were not the greatest. Uh, I was living in Ottawa at the time, and so I uh, I actually took... I think I was off for maybe two weeks, but I took most of the time in Winnipeg and then came back to Ottawa and then drove down to uh, to Toronto to see the show, specifically for SummerSlam. So um, that's why I ended up being at the show. This would have been my second SummerSlam. Uh, I was also at 1999, and you've been to a SummerSlam too, correct? Correct. Wembley Stadium in 92. Oh, of course. Of course, the best one. The best I'm ever. Uh, go back to the archives, mezzaninesleepover.com. We review that show with Stu. Uh, probably now. Making my debut. Yeah, that was that was where we brought. We're like, I know a guy who is there. I know a limey. Let's call him. <laughs> so go back to uh, mezzaninesleepover.com and search for SummerSlam '92. That show is somewhere in the archives, uh, as we normally do when we review these shows. Um, I watched and took notes. I have the uh, Wikipedia page up, and I also have the review that was written uh, in 2004 on the Wrestling Observer. Uh, go check that out at f4wonline.com because it's a great resource for wrestling goodness. And uh, I guess we'll walk this through, and I'll, I'll talk about what happened and get, get some comments from you, Stu, on what you thought as we watched right. this thing. Yeah, I took uh, quite a few notes on this one. Uh, so they're doing an Olympics theme with the promo to the show. It was the 2004 Olympic Games. So the the whole promo of this was like Olympic events. And uh, this was like the the ultimate athletic event of the summer, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, they do a video intro uh, to all the matches on the card. Uh, we get things started. Uh, should mention that in the dark match, Rob Van Dam defeated Rene Dupree in six minutes and seven seconds. Uh, the first match on the pay-per-view, we get the Dudley boys, three of them, Bubba Ray, Devon, and Spike Dudley. Uh, they are up against Billy Kidman, Paul London, and Ray Mysterio. Uh, Spike Dudley is a cruiserweight champion, and I guess he's a heel. Uh, his gimmick is that he's the like ringleader of the Dudley boys now. He's like the Don. Somehow he's become the the patriarch of the Dudley family. Uh, he is not wearing a shirt now, which I don't think is the best decision. Not the hottest of looks. Uh, the thing with wrestling, like he's in, you know, he's in good shape. He's in better shape than I am. But you know, the thing with wrestlers is that what makes him special is they don't look like normal people. Spike kind of looks like a normal guy. 
Yeah, he looks like a guy who played bas- pick up basketball in a rec league or <laughs> something like that. Uh, so there's a back and forth to start. London gets the advantage on Devon, but Bubba interferes from the outside. Uh, the storyline again is that uh, Spike is calling the shots. Uh, five minutes into the match, Michael Cole has already used the term vintage twice already. <laughs> Uh, they keep working over London. There's some miscommunication by the heels, and uh, he makes a hot tag to Mysterio. Uh, Mysterio is on hot fire with Spike. I think the Mysterio was probably happy to finally work with a dude his size. Yep. Uh, tag there to- aren't many in WWE. No. Uh, tag to Kidman, who also runs wild, and then everybody spills in the ring at the same time. Uh, Mysterio gives... Uh, uh, they deliver a heart attack. Uh I forget. I think it must have been Spike. Kidman's holding up Spike, and Mysterio gives him the heart attack, and then the six one nine shooting star press by Kidman, but Devon Devon breaks up the pin. Uh, Ray and London get wiped out on the outside of the ring, and Kidman eventually gets caught in a three D, and Spike gets the pin. Uh, it was uh, eight minutes and six second match. I said not too bad, and I gave it uh, two and a half stars. Meltzer also no. Nope. Where is Meltzer's rating? He gave it two and three quarter stars. Hey, I I gave it three stars. I thought this was a pretty fun little opener. Everybody worked really hard. Uh, the, the the suicide somersault sent on that I think Kidman hit was was pretty impressive. Uh, I actually kind of forgot that London and Kidman were a tag team around then. Yeah, uh, it was. Then, it was fun. It was special, but it's what you want in an opener, right? Exactly. It was a perfect opener. Uh, <laughs> all right. So now, again, this is probably some like you know wrestling always has goofy gimmicks, but it seemed like they had a lot going on at this time. And uh, here's our first one. Oh, we have this match with Matt Hardy and Kane. Do you want to tell the people what the stipulation is in this match? The stipulation is back. This is very much pre Me Too. Is the the winner? Gets to marry Lita, whether like, she likes it or not. I just finished watching Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> it's totally like a Handmaid's Tale match. Yeah. Uh, Lita is also... So Lita is storyline oh, storyline, and real-life dating Matt Hardy at the time. Uh, what is not known in real life at the time is she's also banging Edge. <laughs> like, this was right here. This was right in it, wasn't it? Yeah. It sure was. Uh, so... Uh, she's dating Matt, but I guess something happened over the course of, you know, the storyline leading up to this, and Kane got Lita pregnant. I guess he raped her? I don't know if they ever implicitly suggest that, but I, again, watching it with no context, there's a very much, like, confusion about when, wait, when did they have this on Raw, that there was a... Someone got pregnant? I don't remember that. Yeah, and he's, like, super proud. Yes. Like, he's so proud of the baby that he unwillingly, like, stuck in her. That somehow, yeah, made his way there. Uh, so, uh, the match, um, yeah. Uh, Lita comes to the ring first. King says that she looks like she's showing. She's so not. Not in the slightest. <laughs> like, she's wearing, I guess, like, maternity wear, but she's, like, not showing at all. Yeah, I mean, by like her, what she was wearing in around that time, normally she was kind of frumpy looking. And I <laughs> guess that was the point of trying to make her look pregnant. Uh, of course, uh, at this point in time, Kane is in full on. 
he's wearing his his you know wrestling pants and otherwise he's unmasked he's got no top and so he's you know he's shirtless uh no yeah. no burns on him though i always thought that he was terribly scarred but i guess not no he just has a weird haircut yeah so that's uh where kane is at this uh, is my my exact wording for the notes were no music sorry no mask shit music kane <laughs> was he I didn't like his music then when he had lyrics uh, who, I'm trying to, wasn't that Finger Eleven who sang his song? I think it was, yes. Lovely. Lucky guy. These Canadian bands, and then Our Lady Peace gets, uh, is, is Edge. forever, uh, no, they, they're linked to Chris Benoit. Oh, they do, oh. Yeah. Oh, no, Alt, Altered Bridge did Edges, didn't they? Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah. Uh, so we get, uh, Hardy attacking Kane as uh, Kane enters the ring, uh, gives him a tornado DDT, um, he's beating on Kane for a while, but one punch from Kane turns the tide. Uh, Kane gets the heat, um, and JR notes that the pace is slowed down considerably when Kane takes over on offense. Um, Matt hits a twist of fate on the outside of the ring. The ref starts to count him out. JR says that if Kane gets counted out, then Matt wins. And I said, yep, that's how it yep. works. That's standard issue wrestling rules. Uh, Kane makes it back in, uh, at nine. Uh, Lita puts the ring bell on the apron and distracts the ref when Matt uh, drills Kane. Kane gets his foot on the rope at two. Matt goes for another twist of fate, but he gets caught with a big boot. Kane goes to the top rope, and Matt tries to superplex him, but gets a top rope choke slam to tremendous applause from the crowd. Uh, Kane gets the pin. Lawler is so happy that Lita is going to be forced to marry Kane. He's just giddy about it. Lawler was just giddy. In the entire thing. Another one of my notes is just lots of bad Lawler jokes. <laughs> uh, Kane smiles at Lita uh, when they're walking down the aisle. She does the dumbest looking run to the back. She's like flailing her yeah. arms. Like she, she looks. Auditioning for like the latest Friday the 13th movie <laughs> is what I noted. Uh, so uh, I was surprised that Matt got uh, so much of the offense in this match, but I guess with the stipulation you had to do that. I gave it two stars. La Meltzer gave it two and a half. Uh, I gave it like two and a quarter. I mean, there were the the finish I quite liked because I don't recall uh, Kane busting out the top rope choke slam that often, even though it was sloppy. Uh, I should note, by the way, I'm saying that it's Meltzer, but I, it's actually it looks like it's a member of the Observer staff. So I actually don't know if this is Dave Meltzer's. Uh, uh, this is on the Wrestling Observer, though. So, anyways, just don't want to give, give Meltzer all of the credit or shame if it's not him. Uh, anything else on on this storyline, or should we move on? No, I mean, again, I really wish I understood the context of it and whether this ties in with Kane and the dead girl in any way. Uh, no, I don't think it does. I mean, where the storyline heads after this is that Kane, Kane after, again... I guess getting Lita pregnant against her will and forcing her to marry him ends up as the baby face in all of this because eventually Edge steps in and I think that there's also the part where what's his name Snitsky like punts the baby. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> and Kane and Kane ends up being a good guy in all of this. They're like ah, let's forget about the yeah, uh, let's baby. forget about the forcible marriage, right? He's yeah, a good good right. guy. Um, match three, Booker T against John Cena. Uh, it is, uh, match one of a best of five series. 
And then they, before that, they had a uh, a little interview with Randy Orton that Cena interrupted. Oh yes. Commented on. I noted that you know Cena was in the suck up to the crowd with the vintage sports jersey. This time was particular one was the Blue Jays one, and also that he had an incredibly odd accent at this point. He was a rapper. Yeah, but he was really talking in this bizarre accent when he was doing the interview that he doesn't use anymore. Well, he's not a rapper anymore. No, I guess not. Maybe, but it was very. I don't know. Maybe he's just. Had the Boston beaten out of him over the years. <laughs> well, he had to go to Hollywood, so you can't have that accent, right? True. You could, yeah, not unless you're Mark Wahlberg. Exactly. <laughs> There's only room for one Bostonian in uh, Hollywood. Uh, so uh, it's the first match of what's a best of five, which I thought, why would you start the best of five at SummerSlam? <laughs> That's a good point. Maybe then they a real slow burn to the finish at WrestleMania. Yeah, right. Um so Cena is still all thugonomics at this point. So we're using the thugonomic music. Um, Michael Cole asks Taz, how important is this first match? It's like, well, it's important that you got to win it, but I mean, it's the first out of five. Michael Cole also at one point explained that best of five means that the first one to win three matches is a winner. For <laughs> those who are struggling with basic mathematics. <laughs> uh Let's see, Tina's jorts are totally out of control here. Just massive, massive jean shorts. Yeah. Uh, Booker I don't T- even know if they were popular at the time. I don't think so. I think they were... I don't think they were ever popular. I don't think they were ever popular, no. Uh, Booker T is the U.S. champ at this point in time. Uh, we get a back and forth to start. Cena does a terrible swinging neckbreaker. Uh, they call it the throwback. Which they had to tell us. Uh, I love when they do these moves and then... Especially with Michael Cole, they're like, he has to say what the move is, like what the wrestler calls it. Um, I remember when, I think it was the big show was doing like this powerbomb thing, and it had like a different name every week. <laughs> so like, they call it the Colossal Bomb. He calls it the big show. I, <laughs> whatever. I always wondered with that thing, it was like, why is Michael Cole the guy that all the wrestlers tell him like, oh, by the way, I'm going to use this move, new move tonight. You know what it's called? Eh? 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 <laughs> Yeah, why Michael Cole? He's seen as like, get this. I call it the throwback. Get it? Can, can you get that over, please? Get it over for me, Michael Cole. Of course, uh, Cena not doing the throwback this uh, today. <laughs> no, probably has a different name. Uh, Cena eventually gets worked over for a while to total silence from the crowd. Crowd doesn't care about this match at all. Uh, eventually, Booker goes for the axe kick and mi- misses it. Cena makes a comeback with punches and a clothesline. Booker hits a flapjack, uh, and then he does the spinneroonie, which gets a pop from the crowd, except he goes right into the FU, which today is called the attitude adjustment. Because we can't use rude words. And uh, they get uh, uh, Cena gets the pin, and he is up in a very important series, one match to nothing. Uh, I gave it a star and a half. The Observer gave it two stars. Yeah, I would go with two stars. It it, it wasn't awful. Uh, I mean, it wasn't the kind of match where you're like, glad that they have a couple of more coming up. <laughs> that can only get better. Uh, so we go backstage. Teddy Long is watching on a big tube TV, which is great. Uh, vintage. He, vintage TV. Um, vintage TV. <laughs> should have had Michael Cole speaking there. <laughs> uh, he is talking proudly to himself about the match that he put together. 
Uh, Eric Bischoff comes in and talks about how he deals with the new SmackDown GM at every joint pay-per-view, um, which is funny because Teddy Long would go on to be the SmackDown GM for like a decade. And then, and then Long, to get the best of Bischoff, threatened to sign Eugene. Ooh. Ooh. This also after I noted that Teddy Long called Bischoff the head cracker in Georgia or something along those lines. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> Which I, I'm not sure if that's a, a diss or if that's a compliment. I don't think you're supposed to say that either anymore. I don't know that you can, no. I don't think that anybody would use that these days. Um, so we're, we'll talk more at length about Eugene when we get to his match, and there's, I think, a lot to say. But uh, one mm-hmm. thing to note about Eugene, who is in storyline Eric uh, Bischoff's nephew... Bischoff doesn't want to have anything to do with the guy. Why would he feel threatened about Teddy Long signing him? Yeah, maybe not the most uh, challenging move for uh, Bischoff to just be like, all right, go on then, take him. Uh, so match four, uh, we get uh, Dave Batista versus Chris Jericho versus Edge. It's for the U.S. title? No, the IC title. IC title. Uh, Edge is the champion going into this match. He is babyface, and he is relatively freshly back from uh, being on the shelf for about a year and a half with a neck injury. Um, This is Batista. I believe Batista's first kind of like big title match. Yeah. They sort of, the commentary team speak of it as being the inexperienced Batista versus the two, you know, more seasoned guys. Uh, this is, uh, Batista is still using his original music, which is super boring. Uh, yeah. Jericho oh. is a babyface at this point, I think. His, this, he, I couldn't figure out if Jericho was a face or if he was just being treated as a face by the crowd. I, I'm not, I think what, like, Without during his entrance, content. he was all like, well, I mean, at this point, he was all, he was pretty hyper. Like, he didn't do the, you know, the real calm heel until his later run. So maybe he yeah, was a heel. Yeah, sort of a few years later when he came back again. Uh, Edge is the Intercontinental Champion. He is introduced as being from Toronto. Uh, Batista attacks him during the entrance. Um, Batista gets dumped pretty quickly, and Jericho and Edge work uh, together to start. Uh, and then, you know, I think, uh, you know, uh, eventually, like, you know, Batista goes out of the ring. It's one of these triple threats where you basically don't have all three guys until the end. One guy sits yeah. outside pretending to be hurt, and two other guys wrestle, right? Pretty standard triple threat uh, formula, really. Um, what's most interesting about the match is that the crowd is totally behind Chris Jericho. Uh, Edge, who is from Toronto... Uh, gets uh gets booed. Booed a lot. <laughs> it gets it's booed to the point where the announcers have to acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe, and I I I wrote this every time it comes up. This may be our first Bizarro World reference. I think they made reference to the Hogan Rock match. Uh, do you uh when I say Bizarro World, and particularly when it comes to Toronto, do you uh, want to explain what what that means? Um, well, it generally is just the thing of booing the heel, excuse me, booing the faces and cheering the heels and generally not doing what they're meant to, which I guess Toronto kind of invented. Uh, that's the one thing with the Toronto market, right? Like, uh, every, there are a couple of like more notable wrestling markets. Chicago is typically like boisterous. Yeah. Uh, New York is really knowledgeable. Uh, and Toronto is really bizarre because they, 
like it's not even always that they boo the or no, boo the baby face. All, they just kind of do it, their it, own thing. Yeah. Uh, we did invent ten. Which is true in Toronto. Um, but, but I, I put in my notes that uh, you know the, the 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 use of Bizarro World is now just basically what they always the same kind of crowd that they get for the post WrestleMania Raw and what have you. Yeah. So Toronto kind of invented that. Which uh, the post WrestleMania Raw, which WWF has now like ruined because they oh, they yeah. brand it right. Yes. Now it's it's the oh look at how wacky our international fans are. <laughs> Just like you, a wacky guy. Wacky. So with beach balls and other wacky things. Uh, so uh, there's uh, Walls of Jericho applied to Edge to huge cheers. Uh, Batista dumps Jericho. He gets caught in a DDT but kicks out. The crowd is now cheering for Batista and booing Edge. Uh, Batista gets dumped again and Jericho and Edge work. Batista climbs on the apron and gets drop kicked by Jericho. But then Jericho gets speared by Edge and pinned. To massive boos by the crowd. Edge acknowledges this match uh, when he does shoot interviews and basically says at this point, you know, he'd been working babyface for about three years and uh, realized that it was time time to make a change. And uh, very much for the better, he went into his best run when he turned heel from this. Yeah, um, it, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was the best match of the night. Uh, I gave it, what did I give it? I gave it three stars, uh, two and a half on the, or two and a quarter on the Observer. What did you think? I gave it three and a half. I thought it was pretty good, given that Batista was still pretty green at this point on the main roster. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed it. It was fun. And obviously the, the weird crowd reaction made it even more interesting. Uh, so we get, uh, match five. Oh, I should mention that match, um... Match length was 8 minutes and 26 seconds. So there you go. Uh, and Edge retains the uh, inter- the Intercontinental title. I see, yeah. Uh, match 5. Kurt Angle against Eddie Guerrero. This is a rematch from WrestleMania 20, where Guerrero successfully defends the WWE title. And uh, the story in that match was that Eddie loosened his boot, and when Angle went for a... Ankle lock, the boot slipped off, and Eddie got a roll-up pin for the win. Angle has been uh, injured for the time between WrestleMania and SummerSlam, so he was playing the role of GM, but uh, basically screwed Eddie Guerrero out of the WWE title and uh, then kind of flat-out turned on him in an awesome luchador costume. Yes, which uh, he filled very well. (laughs) Uh, So... Uh, Luther Reigns is in Angle's corner for this match. Yeah, that was my first note was like, WTF Luther Reigns. <laughs> I wonder if I, Angle was like, why? Like, why do I yeah, need a corner I, man? I, I truly didn't remember Luther Reigns being anything to do with Angle. Oh. It's weird how they always, they kind of randomly pair some guys up sometimes, right? Yeah. And, and I'm not, what, what was he called? Like his advisor or something like that? He was in a suit. He was He's in a suit, isn't he? Yeah. He was in a tough-looking guy. He was, yeah. Yeah, he was a scary-looking fella. Um, Eddie looks just fucking enormous. Yes. Uh, so we get uh, Matt Wrestling to start. Fans immediately chanting, let's go Angle. Angle the heel. Taz calls, calls it Bizarro World. Uh, Angle eventually gets a German on Eddie, but Eddie gets an ankle lock on Angle. This match is, is kind of strange because they kind of... 
they kind of start hitting finishers like really fast. Yeah, I, I noted that as well. They like both kick out of finishers very early in the match. Uh, Angle gets a thumb to the eye. He gives Eddie an angle slam really early in the match. Angle gets the ankle lock in. Eddie makes it to the ropes. The ref breaks it up. There's another ankle lock. Eddie makes it to the ropes again. Angle works on Eddie's ankle. Angle uh, unlaces Eddie's boot for some reason and then uh, puts him in a chin lock to quiet down the crowd. Uh, they get uh, they get on their feet again, and Eddie hits an angle slam on Kurt, and there's no reaction from the crowd. The crowd is just, like, it, it's almost like it doesn't follow that regular pacing that the crowd is conditioned to, so when they're hitting these finishers, the crowd is just not believing it? No, and, and I think that the, in that particular instance, it was a really shit-looking angle, angle slam as well. Well, it's not Eddie's move. Come on. No, but but if he's going to hit it for a pop, you need it to be clearly doing angles finish, whereas that just looked like a back suplex. You know, when, when Eddie is practicing wrestling in his ring at home, he's practicing frog splashes and exactly. chucking and jiving, right? <laughs> Lying, cheating, and stealing. Exactly. Uh, angle hits, or Eddie hits Angle with a DDT off of an angle slam attempt and goes for the frog splash, but he misses. Uh, angle hits an angle slam again for two. Now the crowd is chanting for Eddie. Angle takes Eddie's boot off and gives the ankle lock to the foot. Eddie rolls out, but uh, Angle takes out the ref. Eddie drills Angle and Reigns with the boot and then pretends like he was also hit, which was the greatest thing that Eddie did. That was one of his fair, yeah, wonderful spots. Uh, Eddie then hits a frog splash, but Angle kicks out at two. Now the crowd is chanting for Angle. Uh, Eddie protests with the ref, but Angle grabs the ankle again and grapevines it, and Eddie has to tap. Um, I said, weird match, got good at the end. I gave it three stars. Uh, the Observer gave it three and three quarters. I gave it about three. I, again, I, same as you said, the odd pacing of it threw me a little bit. And the expectations of what you would want out of these two guys, it just didn't really hit uh, what their Mania match did. 13 minutes and 38 seconds. I actually thought that both matches, the Mania one and this one, were good, but both, like, I had really high expectations, and they, they didn't quite get there. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Uh, I think we're going to have a lot to say here. About... Alright, here we go. <laughs> Match 6, uh, we have Triple H against Eugene. Uh, tell our fans what the Eugene gimmick is, please. So, Eugene was WWE's, I don't know if this was some sort of attempt to be forward-thinking, by having somebody with learning difficulties become a wrestler. But they pretty much, without using the word retard, call <laughs> him a retard. Um, and I mean, when you say learning, yeah, exactly. Like learning disabilities, it's not like he had, like, you know, a, a dyslexia or something like that. No, no, no. <laughs> this guy was portrayed as, I don't know, being like one step below a vegetable. Yeah. That was his gimmick. And, like, the dude wasn't. Was, the dude, Nick Dinsmore, right, is, oh, like... <clears throat> yeah, he's, yeah, a legitimate, like, decent wrestler who had to play this yeah. character. Uh, I don't know why. No, I, I mean, I, I still, to this day, I'm not sure what they were really aiming to achieve with this. Uh, so the dude ends up getting, you know, what amounts to a pretty nice run for, at least for the first sure. year, right? Yeah, for, for sort of like post-WrestleMania up until this point, 
he was regularly involved in uh, high-profile matches on Raw and what have you, and and the, the you know what's it Regal taking him under his wing thing seemed to be like oh this could be interesting, but then <laughs> it be. went really really downhill rapidly. Ah, so Triple H on the other hand. Um... You know, what What can you say about the guy? The guy's going to get over. He's going to, you know, beat people with his finish. He's going to get involved in the main storyline and be the man, right? Yeah, and and you mentioned earlier about Eddie looking huge. I mean, Triple H looks like he ate the Ultimate Warrior <laughs> at this point. He's so ludicrously jacked. Yeah, he's enormous man at this point. Yeah. Uh, so they show this recap video. So the storyline here is that uh, Eugene has told people that Triple H is actually his favorite wrestler. <clears throat> and so Triple H uh, uses Eugene. He tricks him into thinking he's part of Evolution. And he is trying to get Eugene to help him win the world championship back from Chris Benoit. But Eugene fucks it up and Triple H is mad and tells him that he tricked him, and he beats up Eugene, and he beats up William Regal. Yep, and that, I remember the ver- the one role I do remember definitely watching was the one where Regal challenges Triple H. Yep. And they had a cracking match. And uh, Regal ends up with, like, a lot of color throughout this. Yeah, like, seriously beat down, and then, like, uh, I think that's the one where they shoved the... The stretcher over with Regal still strapped to it. Yes, they did. Which was quite a mean looking spot. But the, that kind of, I remember that Raw being like, oh wow, they're actually gonna, uh, you know, give Regal a chance to give Triple H some comeuppance. And then, well, they didn't. And I mean, the stuff with Eugene too, right? They have Evolution all giving him a beating. And I just thought, like, you've, you've tricked the, the fool already. Like, yeah. you've, you've taken advantage of them. Like, a pedigree and leaving him laying would probably be enough to get people mad. Like, you don't have to have every guy beating him up and have, no. having him have it, like, to blade and stuff. Yeah. Like, it's just way over the top. Yeah, it was insanely over the top. And especially when you're sort of like, this is a group that contains Ric Flair and Triple H and these two hot young studs that are like, you'd need four of you to beat up a handicapped person. <laughs> um, I also thought... For SummerSlam, this is a real waste of Triple H. Yeah, you kind of wonder, like, what did they have planned? Was this a fallback plan? Like, was this the plan B of some sort for Triple H at this point? Because he was, you know, over for quite a long time at this point. Uh, the The reason for this, by the way, is because Randy Orton is getting the title shot, right? Yes. Uh, so they have to kind of give Triple H something to do. So he put something. they put him in this. Yeah, but like, like they couldn't have had a you know SmackDown versus Raw match or something like that involving him. Oh, uh, they could have... know, it seemed like an odd, like you said, an odd waste of Triple H on one of the big four pay per views. Uh, so Ross states right before the match that if Eugene wins, it will be the biggest upset in SummerSlam history, which I thought buried the match, like, just to begin with. Yeah. Uh, so there is a slugfest to start. Triple H gets the heat early. Eugene makes a comeback and gives Triple H a backdrop to booze. 
Yeah, I noted that one as well, that early on the crowd don't seem to give a shit about it <laughs> and only wake up to boo Eugene. Uh, Triple H uses Lillian Garcia as a shield and then violently throws her into the wall, which would never happen today. No, not a prayer. Uh, Triple H goes to suplex Eugene to the outside. It gets reversed to booze. Mm-hmm. Triple H pretends like he's got a quad injury, which I thought was totally believable. Because yeah. he totally could. <laughs> he loves a good quad injury. Uh, he's faking it, though. He nails Eugene from behind, and he's he's so happy about what he did. Yeah, I, I noted here about how this was a, a time where Triple H was fucking incredible at being a heel. Yeah. <laughs> like He played a fantastic heel in this match. It's the only good thing about this match is how, like you said, smarmy he is about knock again knocking over a handicapped person. <laughs> uh, I've tricked the special person. I uh, should note that this was also done to tremendous cheering from the crowd. Yes, yes. Uh, as Triple H works over Eugene, the crowd chants, Eugene sucks. There is another Bizarro World reference. Uh, Eugene, uh, another part of his gimmick is that he copies wrestlers who he liked. Yes. So he gives a rock bottom uh, to Triple H, but then gets caught in a spine buster when he goes for the people's elbow. Uh, Triple H busts Eugene's arm open, uh, just the cuts him. Uh, Eugene powers out of a sleeper hold and he hulks up to tremendous booing. Uh, Eugene catches Triple H's foot. He gives him the finger and delivers a stunner. That gets a big pop. Uh, Rick, <laughs> Rick Flair crumbs down to ringside to cheers. Uh, Eugene gives three punches and a big boot and leg drop, but Triple H kicks out. Uh, Eugene gets the pedigree on Triple H, but then uh, Flair puts Triple H's foot on the rope. Uh, then Flair grabs Eugene's foot, and the ref tosses him. And as uh, Flair is throwing a fit and walking out, William Regal makes his return. <clears throat> he hits Triple or he hits um, Flair. Flair with the nooks. And uh, Eugene is. Very happy and distracted by it, but of course, behind him, Triple H pops up, looking as fresh as a daisy, uh, gives Eugene a pedigree, and gets the pin. So yeah, I gave oh. it uh, I gave it uh, two stars. Uh, Observer gives it two and a half. I gave it one and a half. Uh, the highlight of this match, Flair is knocked out in the aisle, and Hunter... <laughs> Grabs him by the leg and drags him. <laughs> and just drags him out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that is that match. <laughs> what did you think? Oh, God. It was... Uh, as a wrestling match, it was not great, but I've seen much, much worse. As a whole spectacle, it was one of the worst things they've ever done. <laughs> uh, well... Again, and again, like I said earlier, I just can't fathom how... This gets through so many people that no one stands up and says, yeah, we're, we're beating up on a retard. We can't do this. <laughs> nope. In 2004, they were like, this is great. This is solid. Yeah, people are going to love this. Uh, you say that that's one of the worst things, but now we're going to talk about Diva Dodgeball. Oh, yeah. Uh, so this is one of those segments where uh, it's actually produced in a, it was in a Raptors you know, practice facility. Yeah. Uh, Which so has been the Air Canada Centre. So it's in the building, but not in front of the crowd. Yeah. So we all in the crowd have to just watch this on the big screen, which is, you know, so much fun. 
I'm sure. Oh, it's always fun when you get those. Uh, so they have, basically, they're doing a Divas Challenge. Uh, so there are women who are competing to become a Diva, because, like, why would you want to do that? Yeah, this is, this is like, the, the Diva Search era when, just like, surely if you've watched the first Diva Search, you would never put yourself up for another go at it. Uh, so I believe in this one, who was in this one? There was, uh, Christy Hemi was one of the divas, right? Yeah. Uh, Michelle McCool was one of the divas and, uh, Maria Canellis was another one. So yeah. So they, they were the three that I've heard of. Yeah. The other three, I don't think amounted to the anything. Three, I'm not sure who they were at all. So the diva search ladies all have like different outfits. They're so skimpy as, uh, um, I know like the, the, the diva search team look like they're going to the beach. <laughs> Uh, on the Observer site, the guy says, uh, the Divas bounced out first. They were wearing very skimpy outfits, outfits you would never play dodgeball in. <laughs> uh, the Divas come out next. They're all in matching outfits, uh, looking like actual athletes. Uh, Trish Stratus is their captain. She does not compete. Yeah, I'm assuming she was injured or something. Uh, when they introduce the diva, uh, the diva challenge women, they introduce them one at a time, and they're all like shucking and jiving and like air punching, and they look so dorky. Um, I then wrote, long story short, the diva challenge girls win. Uh, Jim Ross calls it an upset, and I'm like, how would you know who's gonna win dodgeball? Yeah. It's, I don't know if there's any really, you know, noted history of any of these women's dodgeball skills. Like if you if you were wrestling, I get that you'd be like, well, yeah, this is an upset. The experienced wrestlers lost to the rookies, but it's fucking dodgeball. It's dodgeball. It's and I, I don't even know if it's scripted dodgeball or not. That was one thing I know. It was like would be curious as to whether this was a work. Like, imagine if like me and LeBron James competed in something that neither of us were like had any experience at. Like yes. at, at bartending, and you were the judge, and there I was go, better. You wouldn't be like, that's an upset. Alan beat LeBron no. James. You would just be like, well, there you go. Alan can make a better mojito than LeBron James. That's something I now know. <laughs> that's what we've established today on the sleepover. Yeah. I've also noted about how the officiating in this was very sloppy. <laughs> the referee did not seem sure of the rules at all. I Neither love, did the commentators. I love how they have a WWE referee be the official yes. for dodgeball. Officiating a dodgeball match. They're like, you're wearing the striped shirt, dude. Like, come on. Yeah, you must know all the rules for everything. I mean, if you think about it, though, in a federation where supposedly taking off the striped t-shirt and putting it on yourself makes you the ref automatically. This so. is true. <laughs> it does have magical powers. <laughs> uh, match. Like the, the Green Lantern's ring. <laughs> exactly. Uh, match eight or seven, sorry, Undertaker versus JBL. This is for the WWE Championship. JBL freshly has won the title the previous month from Eddie Guerrero. This is his first defense. The Undertaker returned at WrestleMania 20 after going a year and a half, two years as a biker. He is back to being, uh, the dead man and he is a babyface and, uh, they have a match. Man, it was okay. It was not that bad. Um, not bad. I'm actually, let's see, I think, uh, I mean, it went 17 minutes. I was, I remember not being into this match and not thinking it was very good. Watching it back again, I was like, you know what? It wasn't terrible. Yeah. At least until the end. Um, so, 
you know, they have the regular stuff. There's shoulder tackles by JBL off the top rope. The Undertaker does old school early. Um, Orlando Jordan is JBL's chief of staff. He um, tries to interfere but catches a big boot. Uh, there is uh, JBL working over the Undertaker's leg. And as this is happening, the crowd is getting uh, clearly less interested in the match. Mm-hmm. And you hear a bunch of wooing from time to time, and you're kind of wondering what's going on. And what's going on is that there is a section of the crowd trying to get the wave started, and they are eventually successful. Yes, and kudos to you and the rest of the crowd. It was a very good-looking wave. <laughs> I mean, you would know you were part of the wave at SummerSlam 92, correct? Yes. Um, except we called it a Mexican wave. <laughs> in the UK, it's known as a Mexican wave because the first time we ever saw it was at the 1986 World Cup, which was held in Mexico. Ah, yes, where uh, there were some uh, pretty famous goals scored against your boys. Yes, by cheating Argentinians. <laughs> uh, so there's a massive pop in the ACC, and you see that the wave is happening. Uh, it has to be acknowledged by the announcers. They say Bizarro World again. Uh, the fans then start chanting, and this is the first time ever they chant for the Spanish table. Yep, I picked up on that as well. When Undertaker and JBL fight near the table, there are massive cheers. When they walk away from the table, massive boos. Uh, eventually, uh, Taker gives a choke slam to JBL and gets two. Uh, Orlando Jordan with the distraction. JBL hits a clothesline from hell and only gets two. Uh, Taker gets some punches in the corner. We get a Soup Bones reference from Taz. Yep. Which is great. Also, when Undertaker goes for the choke slam, uh, we get Taz saying it's the big goozle. (laughs) My two favorite terms, Soup Bones and the big goozle. Uh, The referee gets bumped. There is an audible groan from the fans. Yes, Uh, I noted that this was the third ref bump of the night. (laughs) Uh, Double big boot spot, which is so dumb. Like, how would that ever happen? Well, especially when, I don't think JBL is exactly known for hitting big boots. Uh, JBL knocks out Undertaker with the belt. The ref is out. So Orlando Jordan comes in the ring. He takes the referee's arm to make the count, which is already (laughs) stupid. And then he does it so slowly. (laughs) Yeah. It's like your guys I really I really thought that was going to be the finish. If you can be if you can just count an unconscious guy's arm to make the pin and that's going to be illegal, why wouldn't you do it as quickly as possible? For sure. So he does one, then he makes a face. Then he does two and then the undertaker kicks out and the heels are so frustrated. Uh JBL with punches in the corner, but Taker turns it into the last ride. The ref is still out. So uh, Undertaker gets the belt off of Orlando Jordan. He drills JBL with the belt. The referee sees it, and it's a fucking disqualification. After 17 minutes, uh, the crowd is unhappy. Uh, but then their mood changes <laughs> because something that you do not see on the pay-per-view. Uh, but what happens at this point? So JBL has uh, come to the ring in his limo, his stretch limo which is still parked in the uh, entranceway. And at this point in time, a fan hops the railing. (laughs) He runs up and down the aisle, evading security. He then gets on top of the limousine. And there are literally like security guards trying to grab his legs. And the dude is all jigging and getting out of their way. (laughs) Uh, And what happens is that, uh, so 
there's going to be a spot here where after the match, the Undertaker chokeslams JBL through the limousine roof. The fan who was running up and down the limousine actually, like, exposed the tear. Oh, so it had been pre-cut, I assume. Yeah, so they uh, <laughs> so they end up uh, tackling the guy eventually and dragging him out. Uh, you miss almost all of it. You, there's one shot um, where you can kind of see it, but they cut away from it quickly. So you miss almost all of it on camera, but that's why the crowd is so happy. I wonder if they called it live. Uh, they didn't, what do you, sorry, that they called it? Sorry, the, the, like I watched it on the network, and obviously they're going to edit it for that. But ah. I wonder if it's during the live pay-per-view that was caught on camera. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I've only seen the network version too. And yeah, clearly it's it's all been edited out. Yes. Uh, so JBL gets his head busted open. The taker slams his head in the limo, uh, backdrops him onto the hood, or slams him on the hood of the limo, breaking the uh, the windshield. The windscreen. And then he gives him the uh, the choke slam through the gimmicked roof. Yeah, through the vinyl roof. And uh, doctors attend to JBL afterwards. He gets stretchered out. I do like that Orlando Jordan makes a point of putting the title on him as he gets stretchered out. That was a nice touch. Uh, match was, you know, I gave it I gave it a star and a half. Uh, Observer gave it two and a half stars or two and a quarter stars. I think I was a little harsh. Yeah, I, I would give it a two and a half. It was entertaining crap. Uh, that's, I like your summary. <laughs> Entertaining crap. Yeah. Uh, last match. The one uh, other yeah. thing I noted was that JBL bleeds a lot in that match. Oh, I know. I mean, and then the the limo is white and he's bladed, yeah. so there's just blood all over the hood. All over it, yeah. Undertaker actually takes the blood and wipes it on his chest. Yeah. Which I think. Didn't Lesnar do that to The Undertaker a few years earlier? Uh, Lesnar did it to Hogan. I don't remember Hogan. if he did it to, to Taker. Yes, you're right. It was Hogan. Uh, so now the main event for the World Heavyweight Championship, Randy Orton against Chris Benoit. Of course, um, you have to try to ignore the fact that Chris Benoit is a double murderer. Yep. Uh, but uh, anyways, uh, Orton... Uh, he got this title match by winning a battle royal two weeks prior. So again, kind of a flat way to get a title match at the you know one of the biggest pay per views of the year. Uh, Orton also, you know, though Orton would become such a huge superstar and was was definitely ascending at this point, uh, comes out to the Evolution theme, which I think is great music. But it's he's the only guy that doesn't get his own music. Yeah, I, I noted that as well. That uh, it's interesting that he hadn't got any. Uh, attraction enough to have his own music and also uh, the, the first thing I noticed was that Howard Finkel was still doing the ring announcing <laughs> he was and his mic cut out yes numerous times uh, the fans are chanting you screwed Brett at Hebner immediately uh, there is uh, grappling to start more you screwed Brett chants uh, we get a test of strength Benoit turns it into an overhand wrist lock and gets the advantage uh, Orton with the shoulder block to Benoit, and then he does his Orton pose, which I'm sure you love. I love the bit of Orton pose. I do that when I come home from work, just to let the wife know that I'm back. <laughs> uh, Benoit tries a sharpshooter on Orton, um, but Orton actually tries to get one of his own on Benoit, and he does. It gets countered. Uh, I noted there that Orton does a much better sharpshooter than The Rock. Uh, you know, I always think... How is it that, like, so many people do the sharpshooter so poorly? I know. It's not that true. I could do it to my brother when we were 11 and it looked realistic enough. So how big professionals can't put it on a bit better than they do? 
I know. Me and me and Mega Mix could apply it easily. I'm sure. Uh, fans are chanting for the Spanish table again. Uh, there's brawling on the apron, and Benoit delivers a DDT on the apron years before they started saying it was the hardest part of the ring. <laughs> uh, Benoit goes for a dive to the outside, but Orton moves, and Benoit goes headfirst into the retaining wall, which, I mean... In no- retrospect. Yeah, knowing how things ended for that guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, Orton begins to work over the neck. He gives a neckbreaker off of a... Like, he puts him up for a backbreaker position and gives him a neckbreaker, which gets a huge pop. It's a good move. Mm-hmm. Uh, another chin lock. They both end up cross-bodying each other, and they both go down. Uh, they both end up uh, getting up and doing this spot where I punch you, you punch me. Uh, Northern Light Suplex to Orton. Gets two. Orton with a high cross-body off the top rope for two. Benoit hits the German, uh, a German suplex and another sharpshooter. Uh, Orton does is like the hero. He passes out and then comes back. <laughs> yeah, which was an odd thing to do for a heel. <laughs> Uh, Benoit gives six Germans to Orton for a big pop. Uh, he goes for the diving headbutt. Uh, Orton gets his feet up. It's not even to the knees, right? No, that was a horrible looking spot. Uh, again, in retrospect, mm. mm-hmm. uh, Benoit reverses a pinfall attempt into a cross face, but Orton rolls out of it. They get up and Orton hits an RKO. They call it the RKO out of, out of nowhere years before now it's their brand, right? Yeah, I noted that as well. In quotation marks, out of nowhere, way before it was a meme. Yeah, and uh, and he gets the pin. Yeah, I that was also something I was like, well, that just came out of bloody nowhere. Uh, 20 minutes and 10 seconds in, gets a pretty big prop from the crowd. I think people didn't want to see Benoit lose, but obviously it's exciting to see a world title change. Yep. Uh, I, th- I said the match was pretty decent. Uh, I thought it was a little flat. I gave it three and a half stars. Okay, I only gave it three. I thought it was a little, again, just kind of dragged on a bit. And then the finish, I felt, was a bit anticlimactic. Uh, Four stars from the uh, Observer, so they really liked it. I certainly wouldn't go that far. No. Uh, So Orton is celebrating in the ring. He is the youngest world heavyweight champion. Uh, At that time, they I guess they wanted to do that so that uh, they would erase Lesnar. Yes. Uh, from that, because he had been erased from the WWE at the time uh, until his comeback years later. Uh, Benoit comes back in the ring and he tells Orton to sh- to be a man. Be a man. Which I thought, channeling his inter Randy Savage rap career. It's like, <laughs> be a man, Orton. Uh, and uh, Orton gives him the handshake. Um which and then I noted Benoit's music plays for far too long when Orton celebrates. <laughs> yeah, and then they eventually changed back to Orton's music. Yes, back to the evolution music. Uh, so this would this would be the beginning. This is the end of the pay per view. This would be the beginning of Randy Orton's failed world title run, and I think even worse, his failed babyface run. Yeah, and it should have been really good. I mean, it's, it writes itself. Like, so here's what happens. Like, here's what I think should have happened, and here's what happened. The next night on Raw, I feel like, so Orton's won the title. He's shaken Benoit's hand. He yeah. could come out the next night. He doesn't have to, like, be full heel or babyface. He can come out and just be, like, you know, proud to have the title, take on all comers kind of thing, and then have Evolution beat him down, and that would have been okay. Mm-hmm. But instead, he comes out the next night on Raw, and he shits on the crowd. Like at the start of the show, he's like, I'm the best. I'm the youngest guy to do this. None of you have accomplished what I have. Total heel promo. And then at the end of the show, they beat him up. And I just think, well, fuck him. 
Yeah, he asked for it. And that's the start of his uh, babyface run. I just a babyface run where you don't do something heroic, just where you're a bad guy and then your cronies beat you up doesn't yeah. work and for me. A, you become a face by default. Now, did did they do the raw uh, in Toronto the next night or no, um, no? I don't. I'm trying to think of where they would have done it. I'm guessing it would have been in Buffalo, but I'm not sure. Yeah. But uh, no, it was not. It was, in... it was way before they're doing like three shows at once. At least I don't think it was. But um, I don't. I'm not able to look it up. But I, I, right. I don't believe so. Uh, so that's uh, that's the show. I gave the show um, a thumbs down. Yeah, I, I would give it a like down, but not all the way down. There uh, were a couple of things that were okay about it. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, I mean, honestly, for having gone to the show, I was kind of like. You know, I mean, I'm glad I went, but uh, certainly nothing to brag about. Like, it's has it has it aged well or no? I don't no, think so. It's not got worse. Uh, at the time, you know what? Of all the live pay per views that I've been to, um, like in your house four was historically bad, but yeah. that makes it almost good. Yes, like it's... it gives it gives me something to brag about. Oh yeah. Um, whereas this show, it's like there's real like no one really remembers it. No, like I said, I had to. When I looked at the card, when you told me that we were going to review this one, I had to be like, "Where was I living then?" And then realized I didn't have satellite TV. I was like, "Oh, I've never seen this," but I don't realize that I've never seen this. It's so irrelevant. Well, you're welcome for uh, for getting you to watch it. <laughs> well, it was uh, something to do before work on a uh, on a Friday. Uh, so I guess uh, that that brings us to a close. I tried to pick music, by the way, in 2004, and uh, stuff that was big in the UK at the time. So I don't know if you did. You uh, were you a Moody Suzuki fan? Who? That was the band from the opener. Oh, really? No, I didn't know who they were. Are you a fan of the Streets? I do like the Streets. Yes, my skin is my dude. All right. Well, there we go. That's uh, what we'll end the show on. So. Uh, thanks a lot, uh, Disco Stew at Disco Stew eighty one on on Twitter dot com. Uh, my pleasure. How many more followers do you think you will get from this appearance? My usual little bump of two. <laughs> uh, I am at Slip with Five Eyes. Follow us on Twitter at Mezzanine Sleepover. My co-host is at Megamix dot com, and uh, go to Mezzanine Sleepover dot com for all the back you know catalog of this show. And I do have to plug it. Uh, we have not been as frequent with these episodes because we launched a new podcast called Albums Are Dead. Go check that one out. Me and Megamix break down an album in detail every week. Albumsaredead.com is the website and at Albums Are Dead on Twitter. And Stu, we're going to be talking about Oasis on a very uh, near in the future episode of Albums Are Dead and hoping you can join us. Yes, we are, our kid, and I'm going to put on my fake Manchester accent for it. <laughs> Excellent. Really looking forward to that. I'm, I'm very interested in the perspective of, of somebody who was actually there at the time. And uh, lots of, uh, I want to talk about the Blur Oasis rivalry, too, because, or, yeah, because it has, like, regional uh, ramifications. Oh, God, yeah. Regional class structure in, uh, immersed into it so much so much stuff amazing stuff so thanks a lot for joining us and uh all right my pleasure is always slip and we will uh, see you all in a week have a good night good night trying to pull you even though i would like to i think you are really fit you're fit but my gosh don't you know now, i bashed my head hard earlier juice to the brew but i am digressing slightly so i'll continue